The Orioles just couldn't get the offense going on Wednesday night and fell 5-3 in a loss to the White Sox. But the O's did make an addition to their 40-man roster, claiming right-handed pitcher Phoenix Sanders off waivers from the Rays. We'll recap the loss and tell you more about Sanders coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, August 25th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we're going to start by recapping an Orioles loss as they fall 5-3 to to the White Sox on Wednesday night, get you the five things you need to know from that one. And then we'll learn more about the Orioles' newest right-hander, the reliever Phoenix Sanders, who the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Rays on Wednesday. Talk about his season so far, his career so far, and then what role he could fill and why he could maybe be in the big league bullpen later today with the Orioles. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. But before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. Locked on Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. And remember, we're here on the Locked on Orioles YouTube page as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the page. We thank you so much, you the listener. You're the one that really makes a lot of this happen. So thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. For your first listen today, we start with a tough Orioles loss. Final score from Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Wednesday night. White Sox 5 and Orioles 3 in that one as the series evens up at one game apiece, setting up a rubber match tonight in Baltimore. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles loss that dropped the O's on the season to 64 and 59. However, they did get a little bit of help around Major League Baseball. Just a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. The Nationals did beat the Mariners early in the day, which means that the O's at least stay two and a half games out of a wild card spot behind Seattle. Now, once again, the Red Sox stayed useless, lost three to two to the Blue Jays. So they are now three and a half behind Toronto. And as I talk right now, the Angels have a three to two lead over the Rays in the top of the 11th inning. So if the Angels could hold on to that lead, O's would be two and a half back of Seattle, three back of Tampa, and three and a half back of that Blue Jays team going into play on Thursday. Plus, the Astros were able to beat the Twins, uh, so the O's stay you know, a little bit apart from Minnesota and stay the first team out of a playoff spot at this point. But going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 5-3 to loss to the White Sox. And the first thing that you need to know is really the biggest play in this game came in the seventh inning, and it was just bad luck for the Orioles and a ridiculous defensive play made by the White Sox. To set the scene, the Orioles were trailing 3-1. to They had given up a run in the top half of the seventh, but had gotten out of a bases-loaded jam. And then they had loaded the bases themselves in the seventh inning. They had gotten a hit and a walk against Lucas Giolito, had chased him out of the game, in came Kendall Graveman, who walked Rugnet Odor on four pitches to load the bases with one out for the Orioles' hottest hitter, Jorge Mateo, coming to the plate. And now, I know some would argue that a pitcher comes in, he walks a player on four pitches, especially with the bases loaded, you should take the first pitch no matter what and wait for a strike. I see it a different way. 
I think if a pitcher comes into a game and throws four straight balls, especially a pitcher who's you know got good stuff and has had a good track record like Kendall Graveman, that's a guy who is able to kind of rehone his focus. And especially with the bases loaded, I think maybe the best pitch you're going to get could be that first pitch with the bases juiced. And Jorge Mateo and the Orioles thought that too. They just got incredibly unlucky. Mateo swung at the first pitch, which was in the strike zone. It was a good sinker down and in, but it would have been strike one. He goes after it, and he hit a rocket down the third baseline. Mateo did 105 miles per hour off the bat for Mateo, one of his hardest hit balls of the week. Unfortunately, the White Sox were played right there. Yuan Moncada, the White Sox third baseman, makes a great diving stop. Stands up, steps on the third base bag for one, fires over to first just in time to get Mateo for an inning-ending double play. I mean, if that ball gets just past Moncada's glove, that's into the corner, and at the very least, it ties the game and potentially clears the bases to give the Orioles the lead. And if you remember, the ball that Mateo hit right there, basically the same ball that he hit to win the game in Williamsport on Sunday with the bases loaded and one out, he hit the ground ball down the third baseline, cleared the bases, gave the O's a 5-2 lead. The difference in this one was, on Sunday, Rafael Devers was played a little bit further off the bag. In this game, Mancata was just hugging the line defensively, trying to not give up the double, and it worked out for the White Sox. And It was a tough break because even the other way you could look at it is, even if Mateo hits the ball on the ground anywhere else in the field, he's so fast and so hard to double up, you know, you at least probably get a force out at second base, a run scores, makes it a 3-2 game, and the inning still continues. But because he hit it right to third and Mancata was playing right on the bag, it's the only place on the field he probably could have hit it to have a double play turned. Unfortunately, that is what happened, and the Orioles were not able to strike back any further and did lose the game. But again, I am fully in support of going after that first pitch, after the four-pitch walk. I think it's usually the best one you'll get. just didn't work out for the Orioles this time. Second thing you need to know from this one is that, you know, we talk about the bad luck the Orioles had on that play, but at the end of the day, the Orioles were pretty lucky to even be in this game. And yeah, they only lost by two, but it helped that Austin Hayes hit a two-run homer in the bottom of the ninth off of Liam Hendricks to bring the O's a little bit closer, but they were severely outhit in this game. I mean, the White Sox had 12 hits to the Orioles' six. The Chicago White Sox had seven hits with runners in scoring position in this game. They went 7 for 17 with runners in scoring position and somehow only scored five runs. Now, a reason why that is, is all 12 of their hits were singles. This White Sox team, for some reason, not a fan of extra base hits. They did enough to win it. But if you're the Orioles, you know, the White Sox leave 14 on base. They have that many hits with runners in scoring position. It feels like a game that probably should have been more like a 8-2 to two final score and it ended up being 5-3. to three. The O's were kind of lucky they were in. It would have been nice if they capitalized on that one chance in the seventh, but felt like a game most of the way that the O's probably didn't have any business winning anyway. Third thing you need to know from this one is that probably the reason the Orioles were even in this game, like I talked about, is that Spencer Watkins was just doing Spencer Watkins things again. Another quality start for Watkins here in this one. He goes six innings, allowing two runs on five hits, strikes out five, and walks two. No homers, 88 pitches to get him through those six innings. He drops his ERA to 3.96 on the season, seven hard-hit balls against him. And Watkins basically did what Austin Voth did so well on Tuesday night. Watkins, he loaded the bases with one out in the first inning, gives up a two-run single to Gavin Sheets, but then he gets out of that jam, avoids any further damage. And, you know, his only 1-2-3 inning was his final inning, the sixth. 
But other than that, you know, he had base runners on in the second, third, fourth, and fifth, and just got out of it. And after, you know, that two-run single ended up working five and two-thirds scoreless innings, very similar to what Voth did on Tuesday night after giving up the two-run homer in the first inning. And he just kept the Orioles in this game despite the bats not coming around. You know, they had the RBI ground out from Mountcastle in the fourth that got the O's on the board, but that was really the only thing the offense did early in this game. And Watkins, he just kept him around it. And we know it's not the most dynamite stuff in the world. It's, you know, a fastball that, you know, the velo was up a little bit today. It was 92-93. But in general, you know, he doesn't have the best stuff. But the way he mixes his pitches, and today was interesting too, Watkins for the first time this year threw more sliders than any other pitch. It was 31 sliders, 27 four-seamers, 21 cutters, and 9 curveballs from Watkins for his 88 pitches. He got 10 whiffs, including 6 on that slider, which was really his go-to pitch all day. And it just makes you think, like, Spencer Watkins doesn't have the best stuff, but he knows how to get guys out. And he's not the Orioles' ace. He's not their most trustworthy pitcher. But if the O's went into a three-game playoff series and they had to use Watkins as one of those starters right now, I wouldn't be totally opposed. I mean, he's pitched well enough this year and pitched well enough on Wednesday night. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that the struggles for Keegan Aiken have really continued here, and he has not been the same pitcher in the second half and really has not been the same pitcher since July. Early in the season, Aiken was just this dominant multi-inning guy, would come in, get righties and lefties out, pitch two innings at a time at a sub-two ERA, and he was just, we didn't know who this Keegan Aiken was, a failed starter who was doing it all in the bullpen. Well, it hasn't been that way. Since the start of July, opponents are hitting 321 against Keegan Aiken. And he had another rough night in this one. Entered the game with the bases loaded and two outs in the seventh with the Orioles down 2-1. to one. Did give up some soft contact. Ended up being an infield single for an RBI. Then got out of the bases loaded jam. But then allowed back-to-back singles to start the eighth. Was pulled from the game. Both of those runners scored. And he ended up allowing two runs on three hits over a third of an inning. Aiken now has a 5.59 ERA in August, and you got to remember, that doesn't include any of the five runs that he allowed on Friday night. Remember when he came into the game in the fifth in that wild game against the Red Sox? O's were up 10-4, and he let him get it back to 10-9. To be fair, the Orioles made two errors in that inning, one a bad error by Odor, and one was a catcher's interference. But Aiken still had a chance to get out of that inning with a zero or a one on the board, and he gave up a bunch of hits All five of those runs were unearned. Let's just say four of those runs ended up being earned to him because there wasn't the errors. That would give him a 9.31 ERA in the month of August. It has not been good for Keegan Aiken, especially since he's moved to more of a a short relief role. I'm a little worried. He is definitely not the pitcher he was earlier in the season. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that the Orioles' bullpen as a whole It's just slipping a little bit right now. And I've talked about how they're missing Jorge Lopez, not as a closer, but like I talked about on yesterday's episode, they're missing him more as the backfill for the less important guys in the bullpen. They're just not nearly as good at this point. And Brian Baker, who has pitched well recently, just didn't have it, comes into the game in the seventh at a 2-1 game. He loads up the bases with a couple of walks and, you know, one run ends up scoring. Then Keegan Aiken didn't have good stuff. And then Lewis Head comes in and although Head was not charged with an earned run, he actually gave them an inning and two-thirds scoreless, three hits, a strikeout, and two walks. He let both inherited runners score. He let two runners on in the ninth inning. Nick Vespi had to come in and bail him out to keep it a 5-1 game 
in the ninth inning, and you know, we'll probably see Lewis Head go back down to AAA today, and they'll bring up another reliever. But you know, Tate's been great, Perez has been good, Bautista's been amazing, and everybody else has been a little concerning, and that is definitely concerning for the Orioles down the line. But hopefully, they did pick up some bullpen reinforcements on Wednesday because the Orioles made a waiver claim on Wednesday, picking up the 27-year-old right-handed reliever Phoenix Sanders off of waivers from the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, Sanders made his MLB debut with the Rays this year, had some success, but has been in AAA for the past month or so. But the Orioles picked him up after he was DFA'd and maybe adding him to the Major League bullpen in Baltimore sooner rather than later. But we'll talk about his season so far, his stuff on the mound, his stats, and how he could fit in with the Orioles here coming up next. But first, just want you to picture this. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many, and as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, think of calling for a ride. But nah, you live nearby, you can make it home okay. It's no big deal. So what are the odds, anyway, that you'll get pulled over? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up, you lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Well, the Orioles did end up adding a player to their 40-man roster on Wednesday, but it was not the player we had hoped it would be. Of course, everyone's still hoping that Gunnar Henderson can get to the big leagues with the Orioles soon, but instead the O's did make a roster move on Wednesday, and instead it was a waiver claim to fill the one open spot on the 40-man roster. And that waiver claim was right-handed pitcher Phoenix Sanders, who the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, as of recording here, uh, just before the game on Wednesday, the Orioles obviously said he would not be with the team on Wednesday. Now, they kind of have to decide whether he takes someone's spot in the bullpen or they just send him right to AAA to begin. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But wanted to get you the scouting report, the breakdown on Phoenix Sanders and who the Orioles could be adding to potentially the big league bullpen here down the stretch. Now, Sanders, a 27-year-old right-handed pitcher who stands at 5'10 and was DFA'd by the Tampa Bay Rays earlier this week. Now, the Rays, the only organization he has been with since they selected him in the 10th round out of the University of South Florida back in the 2017 MLB draft. Now, for Sanders, he finally got to the big leagues this season, made his big league debut back in April for the Tampa Bay Rays, actually was on their opening day roster. And he made eight appearances in the bigs with the Rays this year. Made a few in April, one in May, and then a few more in July before spending the last month or so in AAA and then getting DFA'd off the 40-man roster. Now, in his eight appearances in the big leagues this year with Tampa, he pitched 14 and two-thirds innings. Now, he does have the ability to go more than one inning. Actually, in six of his eight big league appearances this year, he pitched more than one inning. That included three two-inning appearances, and actually, his major league debut was three innings pitched back in April. So he can give you some length out of the bullpen. But in those 14 and two-thirds innings, Sanders had a 3.07 
ERA this season at the big league level. Allowed 12 hits, 5 runs, 12 strikeouts to 3 walks, and no home runs allowed, again, in 14 and 2 thirds innings of work. Now, he might have even had better stats, potentially. He had a 2.10 FIP to go along with the 307 ERA, which means, you know, in better park conditions or better defense, he might actually have had a better ERA. A 286 BABIP is right around the league average. But the one thing he didn't get to do is he never appeared in a high leverage spot for Tampa Bay. Now, Fangraphs does a good job of separating low leverage, middle leverage, and high leverage spots. Seven of his appearances were low leverage. One was mid leverage, and he never pitched in a high leverage spot. That's generally seventh, eighth, ninth innings in a close game. So he doesn't have that experience. He's not going to come in and replace Jorge Lopez in the Oriole bullpen, but still had some solid numbers in the big leagues. Now, the one thing you do have to look at is he has not appeared in a big league game since July 10th. It's been almost six weeks since he last appeared in the bigs with Tampa. That was in a game in Cincinnati. And against the Reds in that one, he allowed three runs on four hits with three Ks and no walks over an inning and two-thirds of work, then got sent down to AAA again, was in AAA for the last about month and a half, and then was DFA'd by the Rays to make room on their 40-man roster. Now, if you do take out that appearance against the Reds, that last one, which was pretty rough. You do look at, before that appearance, 13 innings in the bigs, two runs, eight hits, nine Ks, and three walks. That's I'll take those numbers, two runs in 13 innings. But for Phoenix Sanders, you really do get a larger sample size at AAA this year. Now, 25 appearances at the AAA level for the Rays this season, and he did have a 5.40 ERA, but a 3.89 FIP. So again, numbers probably deserve to be better than they were. He pitched 30 innings out of the Durham Bulls bullpen in AAA, 39 hits, but here's the good number. In 30 innings at AAA this year, he had 36 strikeouts and two walks. Two walks in 30 innings out of the bullpen at AAA. Listen, he hasn't had the most amazing stats and didn't necessarily stick in the big league bullpen. But walking two batters in 30 innings, that's something to hang your hat on. He did allow six homers in his 30 innings, had one save, and he also got pretty unlucky. Had a 388 BABIP. That's batting average on balls in play against him. Anything over 300 is generally considered you're getting unlucky. Anything close to 400, like that number, he was getting very unlucky in AAA and probably deserved, again, much better numbers. Now, the issue with Sanders was he hasn't been pitching well lately. Again, got sent to AAA on July 10th, and in the month of August in AAA, by far his worst month of the year. In five appearances in August, five and two-thirds innings, eight runs allowed on 11 hits with seven Ks, one walk, and three homers allowed in his five appearances in the month of, month of August. Funny enough, one of those home runs which was actually his last AAA appearance with Durham before he was DFA. That was on Saturday. He allowed a two-run homer to Gunnar Henderson. I mean, the story writes itself that uh, he's being added to the 40-man roster instead of Henderson right now, and he just allowed him to homer in a AAA game. But for Sanders, it's a strike thrower. It's a guy with big league experience, and he's been at the upper levels of the minors for a while. I mean, you know, he's spent... More than half of this season at AAA, but he spent all of 2021 at AAA with the Durham Bulls as well. Just never broke through onto the big league roster. In 2021, 50 appearances, 64 innings in AAA, had a 3.38 ERA, 
80 strikeouts to just 11 walks in 64 innings with a 203 batting average against. That's kind of his calling card in his career. He is a strike thrower. He does not walk guys. And that would fit right in with the Oriole bullpen, a bullpen that really has not walked a lot of guys at all this season. And for Sanders, the one other thing about him is, listen, the Orioles have found some solid success just claiming relievers off waivers from the Rays when the Rays just don't have room for them anymore on the 40-man roster. The first was, of course, Cole Salser. That worked out. He pitches well for the Orioles. They ended up trading him. Then they get Joey Crable, and yeah, he struggled a little bit lately, but Crable's been a nice addition to this bullpen. And Lewis Head was the last one, and although Head really hasn't been great for the O's, there's something to say that the fact that Lewis Head is still on the Orioles' major league roster right now. He's not pitching a lot. Brandon Hyde doesn't really trust him a lot, but he is kind of the last man out of the bullpen, but he's still on that roster, and there's other guys like Logan Gillespie and others who have fought for that spot, and it currently goes to Lewis Head. So the O's have had some success claiming relievers off waivers from the Rays, and they do it again here with the 27-year-old righty, Phoenix Sanders. And if it works out with Sanders, you get six-plus years of control because he just got to the big leagues this year if you can kind of turn him into at least a, a solid middle reliever moving forward. But for Sanders, we do want to look even deeper into his stuff on the mound. We'll take a look at his three-pitch mix coming up next and we'll take a look at you know what his role could be with the Orioles will he be in AAA will he be at the big leagues and will he really help the O's in this playoff chase down the stretch in September so we're talking about Phoenix Sanders here on this episode the 27 year old right-handed pitcher who the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Tampa Bay Rays on Wednesday now he was not with the team on Wednesday. As of recording, we haven't heard whether the Orioles will send him to AAA initially or will put him on the big league roster. But before we talk about, you know, kind of what they could do there, let's take a look at the stuff that Sanders throws on the mound. Because we mentioned the 307 ERA in his short big league time this year. We mentioned 36 strikeouts to just two walks in 30 AAA innings this year. So he is a strike thrower and he's a three-pitch mix. Slider, four-seam fastball, and curveball. And the reason why I mentioned the slider before the fastball is because the slider is by far his most used pitch. In his 14 and two-thirds big league innings this year, he is a very slider-heavy guy. 52% sliders from Phoenix Sanders. It's an 82-mile-per-hour slider that at the big leagues this year, opponents hit just 167 against it. And eight of his 12 big league strikeouts came with that slider from the right-hander. It's his go-to pitch, and it's something you're seeing more and more from relievers now. And you can kind of look at a guy in the Rays bullpen like Matt Whistler. Now, he is extreme. He's 80-plus percent sliders and, and just throws a fastball in there from time to time. But there are a lot of relievers, and even guys the Orioles are claiming, like Lewis Head, who throw more breaking balls than they do fastballs because they're simply, their breaking balls are much better than their fastballs. And that is the case for Phoenix Sanders, because at this point in his short big league career, his four-seam fastball is his second most used pitch, but he kind of just throws it to say he throws a fastball and to throw something straight if he needs it, because frankly, the fastball is not very good. He's thrown it 26% of the time at the big league level. It averages, it's about 89 miles per hour, and it's gotten hit hard. Opponents hit 455 against Sanders' fastball at the big leagues with a 727 slugging percentage and only a 4% whiff rate on that pitch. Basically means 
every time he throws it in the zone, it's getting put in play. And generally, almost half the time, it's ending up as a hit. So that is a concern. Now, I can imagine the O's will have him throw that fastball even less than the 26% he was throwing it with the Rays. And they may have him throw more of his third pitch. That is the curveball. Now, it's barely a third pitch. It's 23% of the time, so only throws it a little bit less than the four-seam fastball. But as compared to his slider, which is you know still kind of a, a traditional slider at 82, this is a bigger, slower curveball. Averages about 75 miles per hour on the curveball. And just like his slider, opponents hit just 167 against that curveball with a 327 expected slugging percentage against that pitch. Nobody has been hitting for power against his curveball. And his curveball does have the highest spin rate of the three pitches that he throws. So you look at this mix and he's slider heavy with a fastball and a curveball. What I probably see the Orioles doing is get him to stick with the slider he's throwing. You know, still try to throw the slider about 50% of the time. Maybe bump the curveball up to 30% where the fastball is just around 20%. Just throw it when you need it. Maybe if you need a strike on 3-0 and or whatever it may be. I don't think the O's are going to have him completely ditch a four-seam fastball, Matt Whitzler style. But they're going to lower the usage of that pitch probably going to up the usage of the curveball, maybe try to reshape one of those pitches as well, and at least get Sanders to a point where he can be a solid middle reliever. And that kind of takes us to, you know, what will the O's do with him? Because in terms of, you know, lefty-righty guy, he uses all three pitches to both lefties and righties. And he has been in the minors and the majors in his career better against right-handers than he has against lefties, but it's not these crazy splits where, You want him to only face righties, and you're scared of him facing left-handed batters. He can get lefties out as well. So the question becomes, where does he fit in? Now, right now, the Orioles had an open 40-man roster spot. So the 40-man roster is now full with Sanders taking a spot. They don't have to DFA anyone off the roster. But we'll find out today whether he's going to AAA or if he's going to the big leagues. If he does go to AAA, which I think will probably be the initial plan. I think initially they will send him to Norfolk. They'll work him out of the bullpen. And just kind of get a look over the first week at what the stuff is and then reevaluate if they want him in the big leagues because they know a lot about him already. There's a reason they claimed him, but you want to get him working with Justin Ramsey for a little bit before you make that final decision. It's something they did with, you know, guys like Lewis Head and others who they claimed initially put in AAA and then brought up to the big leagues. Now, there's still the possibility that they bring him to the bigs. Maybe they like him more so than they like Lewis Head. And that is where the Orioles' bullpen conversation really comes into play here because Phoenix Sanders could be the answer here or it could be somebody else. But with Jorge Lopez gone, and we talked about this on Wednesday's episode, you know, the Orioles' bullpen had a little struggles, you know, closing out that win before they got it to Felix Bautista in the game against the White Sox on Tuesday night. Again, Felix Bautista, I think, down the line and right now, is a more effective closer than Jorge Lopez. You might have gotten better in the ninth inning, trading Lopez and replacing it with Bautista. But the bullpen as a whole gets worse because the guy you're bringing up from AAA to replace Lopez on the roster, which at this point, Lewis Head is that guy, is not nearly as good as Jorge Lopez. And Brandon Hyde has nowhere near the amount of trust in a guy like Lewis Head that he has in Jorge Lopez. So you're forced to move Dylan Tate, CNL Perez, Brian Baker, and more specifically what we saw Tuesday night, Joey Crable, into more high-leverage roles. And Crable's pitched in more high-leverage spots recently and hasn't really gone well. You know, did not go well Tuesday night. Felix Bautista had to come in and save the day, 
and you can't count on Felix to get a five-out save every time. Just not plausible, just not sustainable down the stretch in September in a playoff race. So what has to happen here is whether it's Phoenix Sanders, whether a guy like Lewis Head steps up, whether maybe Nick Vespi steps up, or someone that's currently in AAA, whether it be you know Logan Gillespie, who we've seen from time to time. Maybe it's Denny Reyes or Rico Garcia, who we've seen. Maybe it's a Yenier Cano, you know, the reliever they got back in the Jorge Lopez deal who pitched in the big league some with the Twins this year. One of those guys, maybe it's a Mike Bauman, maybe it's even D.L. Hall whenever he comes back to the big leagues. But one of those guys has to at least, if they are filling that final spot in the big league bullpen, which I believe, I think most of us would agree that Lewis Head controls that spot right now, the final spot in the bullpen. One of those guys, and maybe it's Phoenix Sanders, maybe it's why they made that claim because they could trust him in this role, has to be able to, at the very least, be used in a close game. Now, I'm not saying in the 7th, 8th, or ninth inning. But for example, it's the sixth inning, Tuesday night's game. The Orioles are, you know, leading three to two or four to two, whatever it may be. It's a one or two run game. And the starter just can't get through six. You know, they, they get through five and a third or five and two thirds and, and they're pretty much done. It's great that Brian Baker came in and, and shut down that sixth inning and kept the O's in the lead. But if you can get to a point where the last guy in your bullpen, whether it's Head, whether it's Sanders, whether it's Bauman or Gillespie or whoever it is, if that guy you can at least trust to come in and get you one or two outs in a one-run game in the sixth inning, and that's all you ask from him, give me one out, give me two outs, and just keep us in the lead. That's all you have to do. Then you free up Brian Baker, you free up Joey Crable, and most importantly, you free up Dylan Tate to be used later in the game, and your bullpen gets better. That's what the Orioles had with Jorge Lopez, because when Lopez was on the team, really their worst reliever was Nick Vespi, or Brian Baker. And those were two guys who Brandon Hyatt still did trust to come in in the fifth or sixth inning of a close game and kind of bridge it to the back end. Right now, he probably needs to start using Baker in later roles, high leverage roles. Crable is starting to fall off a little bit in trust, and he doesn't have that guy that he can throw in in the fifth when the starter has to come out, but the game is close to kind of keep it close, maybe even keep the O's in the lead. And one of these guys need to step up, and maybe, maybe, it could be Phoenix Sanders. But somebody's going to have to step up into that role if the O's want to kind of survive as a bullpen and stay in this race down the stretch. But for now, the O's are right in this race. And, of course, they got one more game coming up against the Chicago White Sox. And I've got one more podcast coming up this week for a Friday episode. Make sure to join us back here for that one. We'll recap Game 3 between the White Sox and the Orioles get to the five things you need to know from that one. We'll get you ready for a huge series in Houston. O's meeting up with Trey Mancini and the Astros for a tough three-game set this weekend. I'll preview that and maybe a little more Orioles draft talk coming up as well. And hopefully, hopefully, we can talk about Gunnar Henderson. But that's all coming up on tomorrow's Friday episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.